Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It's mentally yours from Ellen and uh, focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly podcast about all things mental health. I'm Ellen. And I'm Yvette. And this week we're chatting to Lily Bailey. She's an author and a mental health campaigner. We're going to be chatting to her about OCD and her new children's book, When I See Blue. So I actually don't remember um, ever not having OCD, but I didn't um, know what it was. I'd, I'd, so I, I kind of thought everyone thought the way I did. And uh, over the years, it shifted a bit and would change around that I would be I would be obsessed with different things. Um, but the point at which it got really bad was uh, when I was a teenager, I had this constant fear that I would do something wrong. Um, and then I would have to uh, I would have to sort of take the letter that represented the first letter of the word of what I might do wrong. So it could be if I was worried that I stared at someone's bum and it looked weird, I might take the letter B for bum. And I'd put it on a list and then I, and I'd end up with loads of letters and I'd be sort of repeating like LCBD, like just sort of going over and over in my head and bear in mind, I, I, I did kind of think everyone just was thinking like this. And I was sort of thinking, how is everyone getting stuff done? Um, and I, but, but it then got to, it got to the point where it was so bad. I just didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to move because I was so worried that I would do something wrong. And if I lay as still as possible, then um, I could I could do less things wrong, um, which was the point at which um, 
I was uh, sent for an appointment with my GP uh, who said that what I was living with was OCD. And I was so surprised because like so many people um, who have OCD and don't know it, I just thought it was all about tidiness and liking things just so, and I'm such a messy person. Um, so I was really shocked. Um, and that, so that was when I found out I, I, I had OCD and I've had a lot of therapy since then and I am a lot better now but I, I would still say that I I, I do still have OCD but it, it's so much better. I think so just to give some context to my next question um, I have OCD as well but I feel like everyone I spoke to with OCD it manifests in like such different ways and you're right it's definitely not just the clean and tidy thing because I too am very messy so can you tell us a bit about how your OCD kind of manifests for you what it means for you in terms of your like everyday life and the way that you think and do things so it it has changed around over the years and I think uh when I was so when I was really small it would be it would be much more about like that thinking something bad was going to happen to my family and that I would have to do a, com- so that would be the obsession. And then I'd have to do a compulsion to stop that happening. So I might be like really worried that my sister was going to stop breathing in her sleep. So then I'd be like checking her breathing and her heartbeat um, several times a night or and or often more than several, like repeatedly. Um, and and so it, it tend, not always, always, but it tend, the thing, my, my sort of OCD Everest is kind of harm, really. So it's like the idea that, some harm will happen or that I will cause harm and that I have to stop that happening. Um, these days it, it, it tends to be uh, around whether I have said or done something bad or embarrassing and the sort of compulsive need to review my actions and check I haven't or ask people if I have. Um, intrusive thoughts have also been a big part of my OCD. So for anyone who doesn't know, intrusive thoughts are when you have like a, a sort of really random and weird thought, like I want to kill my dog. And actually studies have shown that everyone does have these these weird thoughts. Um, but most people are just like, huh, that was weird. That's not part of myself and whatever, they move on. But for people with OCD, um, we tend they we they those thoughts tend to sort of be so shocking to us and go so against our values that we can't let them we're so worried about them that we can't let them go and then obviously the more you don't want to be thinking about something the more you are so intrusive thoughts have been a big part of OCD for me I will have like a bad thought like yeah I want my dog to die is is a good example I would have that thought when I was younger and then I'd sort of be like compulsively like praying to sort of saying no I don't want that to happen god please don't let that happen and that kind of thing they're often I feel like with your intrusive thoughts you're right when they're the kind of antithesis of who you are and what you want like it's often the worst imaginable thing but then you'll tell yourself like oh no it must be part of me because it came from my head so maybe I really do want to kill my dog you know it's really it's strange how it's never nice things is it (laughs) Yeah, well, intrusive thoughts are ego dystonic, which mm. which basically is a big word that just means that they go against your values, mm. um, and that is why they are so horrifying. And it's interesting because, yeah, from for 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 people who are who don't don't have clinical OCD, they can just be like, well, that's a random thought; it's not part of me. But if intrusive thoughts are a part of your OCD, then it tends to be because yeah, you're so horrified by them that you just can't let them go. Mm. Um, so what sort of things have you found useful over the years um, in terms of learning to manage your OCD? 
Well, when I was diagnosed, I was referred for um, ERP, which stands for Exposure Response Prevention. It's a type of cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's a talking therapy, but it's less about sort of, sort of talking. Um, typical talking therapy is often like very focused on like reviewing your past and um, talking in great length about things things that have happened to you in your life and exploring what those things mean and um obviously what the, your past history does come into cognitive behavioral therapy but it's more it's more sort of um when you're doing exposure response prevention for OCD is it's more based on dealing with the fear that you have and uh sort of habituating yourself to that fear so that it becomes less intense so so to put that into context what I'm saying is rather than sort of being like sitting down with a therapist who's like well I wonder if you could tell me a bit more about why you think that you're uh that you might kill your dog and have you had any negative experiences with dogs in the past and let's analyze that like which could actually be kind of can sometimes be quite harmful for people with OCD because it feeds into like the rumination and the sort of obsessive analyzing aspect it will be more about like well what would happen if you had that thought and you allowed yourself to sit with that thought without performing a mental compulsion in response so yeah it's it's more sort of rooted in in the present moment of of facing the things that you are very frightened of and and sort of acclimatizing yourself to those fears so that they are causing you less stress in your daily life and sort of sounds like were you set kind of exercises to do that it sounds like almost a kind of exposure therapy is, am I getting that right or not really? it is it is exposure therapy we sometimes call it exposure therapy but it's the like the name is ERP which is exposure response prevention because you're um like you're you're, you're dealing with the um like what the response would be to that to that uh to to that uh trigger but I, I exposure therapy like is very common for people with phobias and all sorts of things you can you could you can just call it exposure therapy Get it, it, your, what, the things you do as exposures can seem really crazy to people who don't have OCD. Um, like for, for, for instance, if you have contamination OCD, you might end up having to do something like lick, lick the bottom of your shoe to, to, to see what really does happen if you expose yourself to, to that dirt. Um, for me, it would, um, it would be like things that, Things that maybe sound really strange to, yeah, again, to people who don't have OCD, like I might have to, um, like, actually make myself stare at someone's bum in in public, like a tiny bit, which is like horrifying to me. And 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 and, I, and I'm caveating, like, it would be such a minor thing that it wouldn't be something that like a member of the public would like notice and be really horrified by, because that would be awful for everyone. But I literally just mean like allowing your eyes to like land on someone's bum. But for me, I'd be like, oh, my God, this is this is the worst thing ever. I'm going to be arrested and and sent to prison. Did you do you find it helpful? Because to me, I'm imagining doing that with some of my like fears and obsessions. I'm like, absolutely not. I will never do that. So it's it's interesting to hear that you actually did that. That sounds quite brave. I mean, I think the key is that like you do it in increments. So something that can be like, sometimes like it, there's this thing called white knuckle exposuring where like, which is, which can happen if you maybe work with a therapist who's inexperienced or who doesn't completely un- understand where you're at, where you're like forced to deal with stuff too quickly uh, or put into like a really, like a really, really stressful, something that would really trigger your OCD and like told to just sort of sit with that, um, 
anxiety and uncertainty like so it would be graded so you 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 can start quite small and like it doesn't matter how small the thing you do is it's still a win so for instance I could have started with like even just picturing myself looking at someone's bum before I worked up to like actually like having to glance at a real human's bum (laughs) um but I do think yeah people who do it who do this are really brave like it is it is really terrifying and really scary but the reaction that you just had of oh my gosh that sounds awful like is 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 super super common and was the definite reaction that I had but where how are you doing now do you feel like it was helpful is it something that you're still using as a tool to manage it yeah, I, I really did find it helpful. Like I said before, obviously it was kind of a bit horrifying to be told that you're going to have to do that stuff. But the, yeah, it is what worked in the end was just sort of exposing myself to the things I feared and finding out what would happen if I did that. And basically learning to, to sort of live with this with these thoughts sort of around rather than just constantly engaging with them all the time. Um I do, it's definitely still a part of my life, uh, doing exposures and sort of chat. So for instance, even doing this podcast is an exposure for me because I always worry that I'm just going to shout something really offensive. (laughs) To reassure um, you, if you did, we can edit it out. (laughs) I know, which is why, to be be honest with you, doing like something live is an even bigger exposure because then you literally can't. But actually like that's a really good thing because so for instance, like, something I found during lockdown was that I was having less social interactions. I was talking with people less, getting out of the house less. And actually that wasn't a good thing for me because then you're like out of the practice of doing this stuff. Basically, if you are sort of in sort of recovery from your OCD and that doesn't mean that you like live with no OCD, some people seem like seem do seem to be able to sort of make quote unquote a full recovery. But for lots of us, it's sort of just, it's like much more, it's, it's lots of better managed, but it's still there. So exposures become part of your daily life because basically doing an exposure can just be like that you, there can be planned exposures, which is like something that you agree upon with your therapist and you like both agree that you're going to go do it. But unplanned exposures just occur at any moment, which is basically just you challenging your fear without doing your default compulsion. Um, So this is an exposure right now. (laughs) Well, again, you're very brave and we really appreciate you coming on because I I understand it's really, it's (laughs) difficult, but you're nailing it. You're doing very well. Yeah. I think it'd be really useful for for listeners as well, especially other people with OCD and maybe also people with um, with family who have OCD just to kind of understand it a bit more. Are there any other things that you found kind of helpful in terms of sort of day-to-day for your mental health? I think having a support network is really important. I remember when I first was diagnosed with OCD, my mum really wanted me to go to a support group and I was like horrified. Just, I, I don't even really know why. I think it's just a sort of shyness thing also. And just thinking that everyone there would have, a would be, again, and this is just like the prejudice I had about OCD because of the media portrayal. I was just like, oh, everyone there's just going to be obsessed with tidiness and I'm just going to be the odd one out who has all these violent and sexual intrusive thoughts. But actually it was not like that at all. Like there were so many people there who just had all kinds of really random obsessions or similar obsessions to me. You're just like a wide array. And I think that sense of community has really been so helpful for me. Um, both in terms of seeing people who are maybe like further along in their recovery journey, which is like really cool because you think, oh, wow, well, they did it. Like I can do it too. That's really encouraging. And often those people will take on kind of like a mentoring role, but also just in terms of 
it's not that you would ever wish this on anyone because you really, really wouldn't. But when you have OCD, it can feel like you're just sitting in this deep, dark pit and you're all by yourself and it's just like awful. But you suddenly kind of realize that there are other people in the pit and it's like, oh, hey, we can sit here together, which is just, I can't even put into words how how much that means. Um, and there's other stuff too, like swimming is is something I do that I just find like I'm like I I know that a lot of people find stuff like mindfulness and meditation helpful and I don't think it's particularly useful to like get into a slanging match and be like well it's not helpful or like whatever because the fact of the matter is that for some people it is but it like it, it just is <laughs> but but for some people like that can it like it can it can be really difficult to like maybe I'll be able to do that stuff eventually but it can be really difficult to just like sit and try and be with yourself when the reality is that your brain just fires at a ridiculous amount of miles per hour. So for me, like at the moment and for the last few years, swimming is like my kind of version of that because there's like movement and momentum, but it allows me to like be more still than anything else in my life really does. And I always feel much kind of calmer after I've been for a swim, I would say. I think what you said there about um, with your support group, kind of realising you're not the only one going through this, you know, you're not the only one in the pit, which I find very relatable. I think um, because this kind of leads very neatly into another thing we wanted to talk about, which is your new new children's book. And I think that will be this. I'm putting this so badly. This will be like that support group for a lot of young people reading this because I think it will make them realize like oh my god like this isn't just this weird horrible thing that only my brain does other people are going through this as well is that was that kind of a motivation is that something that you hope the book will do for young people yeah definitely I especially like when you are young if you don't know what you're going through or even if you've just received a diagnosis or whatever it can be such a lonely experience and yeah that what you said is exactly right like my hope is that Ben who's the main character and when I see Blue who has OCD can literally be like the the first member of your support group if you are going through something something like this and that he can be like a real source of comfort for people and also his therapist um sort of plays the role of like because the thing is in all honesty like whether you get a diagnosis and the age at which you're diagnosed it can be quite random it can kind of depend on like which professional you saw like how how well you were able to verbalize your experience whether your parents took it seriously like it's just so many things and the fact of the matter is that Ben does end up in the CAM system which stands for children and adolescent mental health services but not every child does and often children are on waiting lists for a really long time which is an experience Ben goes through but my hope is that his therapist could almost be like obviously the book is not therapy it's a book however like when I was younger I used to get a lot of comfort from like sort of supportive and empathic adults in in books and my hope is that like Dinesh can be that person that's the therapist's name can be that person for readers and that you know, obviously they're not doing therapy with Dinesh, but they're following Ben doing therapy and maybe they can take some tips from that and understand a bit more about their experience and he can kind of be their safe adult in the way that he is for Ben also. Hmm. Um, why is it called um, When I See Blue? Uh, that actually relates to some of my own obsessions. So Ben is 
is a different character to me. And in some ways we really are quite different, but we have some of the same obsessions. And one of the ones that I gave him was obsessions around colors. So he would feel like if he saw that the color blue or if he like touched something, the color blue or wore something, the color blue, that everyone in his family would be sad. And he has different experiences with different colors. So he like for him, he associates red as the color of like anger and harm. Um, but there are also good colors. Like he, um, he sees uh, uh, black as the like the color of strength and power and white he feels is just kind of quite like clean and calming and safe and yellow is uh, sunshine, green is vegetables. It's all a bit random, which is like how it was for me. So it's called When I See Blue because that's actually like taken from a line in the book when Ben is like, when I see blue, I think of, and then he tells you all about what the color blue means to him. So I know you mentioned that um, parts of Ben are like you, but obviously other parts aren't. Um, do you know, why was it that you decided to go for a boy as your main character? Um, well, I had written previously about my own experiences with OCD and that was for adults. And I wrote that like as myself. Um, and I, and I'd been asked by a lot of parents and a lot of people who had like young people in their life who had OCD, if I could do something for kids and teenagers. And I was like, yes, cause I really needed this thing. And I was, but I was quite determined that this character was not going to be was not going to be me again because I I felt like I really needed some space from sharing my own experiences and the the intensity and vulnerability that comes with that. Uh, so I guess uh, changing uh, Ben's changing my main character's gender was a way of like actually creating some distance between me and the character. But I also think that just in general, we I think we have done so much better at getting books out there for children that um that do deal with mental illness and complex issues like trauma and like the specifics of different mental health conditions but i i i do notice that like there does tend to be a slight skew to talking about female experiences and that there aren't that many books for uh young male teens and boys and I just really want I was like there's no reason why I should just write a female experience just because I am a female like and actually like it gives me a lot of joy when I've been into bookshops to see my book on the table and it does and I mean I guess in a way this sort of plays into stereotypes too but my 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 strong instinct when I see it is that it's the kind it's quite it has quite a sort of like the design of the cover the the whole look of the book is quite like boyish and I'm really excited by that because I'm like oh it's like often like the books on the tables can look a bit a bit more feminine and a bit more and not always but like I I, I don't know if I'm expressing that well I, I just like the idea that a little boy could come into the shop and be like oh like this is a kid talking uh, openly about their mental health experience and he's a little boy like me <laughs> mm. No, I think that's so important. I realised when I initially asked that, I started quite like accusatory. Like, <laughs> why? <laughs> I, mean, it is, I think it's a really great thing. And I think um, you're right, because I, I do think that still a lot of the conversation is skewed towards, you know, women, which is obviously not a bad thing no. for all women. <laughs> but it, it's needed as well to talk to young boys too. Yeah. <laughs> How did you look after your own mental health when you're writing this? I guess it sort of leads on from what you're saying about making it... Um, also making it a male character rather than a female, perhaps. Um, were there any other things that you did to kind of, I don't know, stay mentally well during this? Because I can imagine it could feel quite overwhelming. It's, I mean, it's a brilliant book from what I've read, and it's really 
detailed, but not exactly intense, but you do really sort of go through the mind of, you know, what he's experiencing. And like you say, with the colours um, and the thoughts, um, did you have maybe, <laughs> this is really long, long-winded. Um, so yeah, how did you look after your mental health when you were writing this? I think, um, yeah, like the first, the biggest thing I think was like actually being, because I had conversations with my agent where like the conversation was like, should it just be like that you do, that you write your your memoir, the, the previous book I'd written, which was a memoir, but like that you write it like you, because that authors do do that. Um, they will sometimes like put an adult book out, but then there'll be like a version for younger people. And I was really quite clear on the fact that I didn't want to do that again. So I think that was quite important for me, um, as I've said, but also just, I guess, like, I I, th- I think um, one thing that allowed me to to deal with that was that because this is a middle grade book, so it's for nine to 12 year olds, like it's, there's so much you can do with that. And I think like the book has a sort of adventure storyline going through it. And so I would get really into that and I would really like be like, what are my character is going to do next? It was actually really exciting. And I think we need more of that, like to see people in, to see characters where like they do have a mental illness or disability or, and, or some kind of issue or part of their identity that is maybe challenging for them at that point in time. But it's not the entire storyline that actually these are like well-rounded characters with other stuff going on and that this is a big part of them, but it's not like, it's not the only, it's not the only thing. You see these people represented who maybe are like you and you're like, oh, that character has this, which I also have, but it's not the entire, like, it's, it's not the entire point of the thing or the entire, um, the whole like version of themselves. I think one of my other questions I wanted to ask is, do you feel kind of protective or caring over Ben now as he's like your creation and does that then make you treat yourself a bit more kindly as well yeah I feel super protective over Ben I think this is why I like afforded Ben like gifts that maybe I hadn't had like he gets an earlier diagnosis than me and he um well actually I mean I had some I had some really good friends when I was when I was younger too and so it's in fact, I had one friend in particular who really sort of got my OCD in the kind of way that April does. But he he has that early intervention moment and he gets um, into the system. He gets seen and he has people around him who accept his diagnosis. And just I kind of set him up for like the best experience that he could possibly have. Because I, and I, was, I was saying the other day that sometimes I feel a bit jealous of him. <laughs> because and I and and so I think it's important like it it's important to sort of um to 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 know that like Ben has actually he, he says not that he has no difficulties but he has quite a good experience and that's not necessarily like always the experience for everyone but it was the one I kind of wanted to write because I think it it can be like a source of comfort for people who who want that or need that but don't currently have it um but I yeah I'm like I really want this kid to be okay <laughs> I feel super protective over him and actually like my publisher had made these little cuts that like they'd made cut out like characters of Ben and I saw one on the shelf in a bookshop and I just like was like I just want to take him home and nurture him <laughs> I want to feed him really nice food and look after him and then I was like it's a cardboard cutout <laughs> it's a cardboard you should have at least one I think <laughs> I actually do. They have they have sent me one, and he's Brilliant. And he's That's sitting fantastic. on my table. <laughs> so this is goodbye from mentally yours.
If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116123. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and subscribe to our channel and perhaps even go back and listen to some old episodes. We have many of them. Also, you can get in contact with us. We have a lovely Facebook group, which is called Mentally Yours. And we're also on Twitter at MentallyYRS. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.